Ain't nobody listening to this shit. Welcome to the Beyond Our Service podcast, where two veterans with wives and kids pretend to know what they're doing in life. We look at the good, bad, and ugly and laugh our way through it all. So come join us as we go beyond our service. Welcome back to another episode of Zegionto. We are here with Senor Brian and Mr. David. We are not, we are missing Nash because I had a small miscommunication. and He's not here with us today because he is unable to make it. Uh, but we are going to review uh, the You Are Too Good to Feel This Bad by Nate Dallas. If you are unfamiliar with what the Junto is, it is basically a book club. It's called uh, The Junto because that is what our fearless leader... Uh, Benjamin Franklin? Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin... Benjamin Franklin is uh, our Lord and Savior. So we're here reading the uh, this book and drinking the traditional lager, Yingling, from Philadelphia. America's oldest beer. America's oldest beer. And I was there last week, saw his statue, drank a beer with him, had a cheesesteak. Fantastic. Nice. Yeah, good job for you. Um, you didn't hashtag or tag Beyond Our Service at all during that time, so <clears throat> you are on the fringe of being kicked out. That's a that's a fail. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but um, when we kick you out, it'll be fine. So we are going to go over this. Essentially, we pick a book once a month. We go over our ahas or things that stood out to us. We talk about them, we discuss them, because we are ever-knowing and super-intelligent men. Uh, We go over them, figure out, or just kind of debate on what things that stuck out, and that's what we're going to do now. So, uh, to get us kicked off, we got Brian, who is by far two to three, four times the rest of our ages, our (laughs) eldest member, who has readers on right now, and he is going to give us our first point, Brian, attack. Well, my first point was I didn't think I was going to like this book. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, I'm well aware of that. The first chapter, the guy really turned me off. Here, I'll, I'll just read my summary and my notes from the first chapter. Mm-hmm. I said, he's a super high achiever and wants you to know it, who was stressed out from being so amazing. And after exhaustive research, trial and error, he and he alone discovered secrets that made him less stressed, sleep better, achieve more, be a better father, husband, and a more super awesome human being than he already was. And now he's going to share these secrets with you. And then I wrote prediction. I would bet the contents of Stephen's bank account that he will be selling a coaching, coaching program by the end of the book that will help you be as awesome as he is. Amen. So that was my first impression. I will say it got better. He, he didn't come off like such an arrogant ass throughout the rest of the book. Um, I, he just came on way too strong, wanting you to know that he was, he was performing at you know level 10 in all areas of his life, but was miserable. And is going to share some things about how he became less miserable. So the book grew on me. I didn't love it. Uh, I didn't hate it. Um, 
didn't really, not a lot of new material there. If, if you are at all a student of self-development at all and have read much on this topic, there probably wasn't much there new for you, uh, but some really good reminders of some things. So overall, um, you know, I'd give it partially erect on our, on our scale of, ah, uh, of greatness. Indeed. Good Lord. We're already going there. <laughs> so I will, uh, I guess I'll jump in there with the, uh, with, with the same amount of erectness. Um, <laughs> you know, I saw this book on popped up on Amazon and, um, it was recommended to me. Say, let's 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 quickly just a side note. Let's put it out there that this was David's pick for yeah. the book this month. This hundred percent, and um, you know, there's a why behind that, and that's due to the fact that it probably targeted me because I turned thirty six years old, and uh, my life just completely fell apart. Uh, is pretty much how it feels, you know. I was feeling like Nate Dallas, 10 out of 10 on top of the world. And then boom, energy's gone, dead, relying on coffee and trying to just make it through every day. It's pretty much been the last year of my life. But, um, and what ultimately is behind that is, you know, middle age, thyroid starts acting up, affects the testosterone. And all of a sudden you, you start needing help, right? Um, and that's why this book stuck out to me because the title is you're too good to feel this bad. And <clears throat> that's exactly what I was looking for. I'm like, man, what the hell am I missing? I'm healthy. I'm doing the right things. Nate, give me some secrets to help me stop feeling like shit. And hopefully this isn't just life as you become middle-aged. Uh, Brian, you can obviously help us with that since you've been there for like 40 years, but <laughs> um, way past middle age. Huh? Yeah, but, huh? what? <laughs> but go, Brian's go right. There's nothing. <clears throat> the book was good. I'm not. I'm not going to knock the book anyway. The book was fine. It. It. There was plenty of parts I highlighted, but what Brian said is correct. There was nothing in here that was an original idea. There was nothing. Well, there are a few things that you may not know, but most of it, you will. You just kind of put it together. Um, and I. I'll, 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 I'll be right there in the middle. It was, it was okay. Uh, nothing, nothing fantastic. And by okay, you mean partially erect. Partially, partially erect. Okay. I cannot believe so, that we uh, are doing, we didn't even, this was not agreed upon. I, it's okay. Good. All right. It's going to happen anyway. Um, yeah. I, I, I will say that I was um, a little bit more erect than you two on this book. <laughs> so we um i definitely there goes the professionalism just right out the window we had a book club and we just shit all over it um i i honestly okay so the he he did sound like a douche at the beginning uh i think that it was on purpose that's my opinion i think it's a little bit different i received it a little bit different when it's someone that's like um hey I was actually doing really good at a lot of things and I still felt like shit rather as compared to someone who was like, Hey, I suck at everything. And I really felt like shit because I was sucking at everything. And this is what I found out about sucking at everything while I sucked at life and everything else. So to me, uh, with a small ego, a bit of an ego and a bit of a, you know, Hey, I, I consider myself somewhat successful, 
Um, David thinks he's very successful, which is, you know, debatable. The, the, the but, mostest. I actually kind of thought, you know, was he talking about me at the beginning? Of right. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. I'm sure you, you were like, I feel like it's my autobiography. Um, but I do think that it was because I, th- I feel like that kind of gave it some credibility of like, Hey, um, I'm not somebody who sucked at life. I didn't suck at business. I didn't suck at dentistry. I didn't suck at whatever. Cause he's a dentist. It was more like, Hey, I was actually doing really good and I still felt like shit. Um, um, maybe, maybe think about how I live life. So what have you changed since you read this book? So I have, um, stopped drinking during the week to see if I can get some deeper sleep. Uh, and then I've also, I did buy the ring. Um, and all of it was behind just trying to track my sleep and get an idea of how much I'm actually sleeping. Yeah. I think the sleeping chapter was, uh, was good and kind of goes again. I think it's becoming more conventional wisdom, but it definitely runs contrary to, you know, certainly the, the culture that I was brought up in and, and, and I think probably probably you guys too being a little bit younger, but where it's a badge of honor does not get much sleep. Right. Um, you know, if you're, if you're the guy who can get by on five hours a night and you burn the candle at both ends and you know, that's a, that's a huge badge of honor. It's almost, um, you know, where you wouldn't want to admit in a group of coworkers that you sleep eight hours a night. Uh, cause you'd be looked or nap, you know, mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. and he totally blows that up. And I think he's absolutely right. And I've, I've really, I have completely changed my tune on that. I do try to get, be mindful about my sleep. I take naps, you know, Hey, if they were good enough for Winston Churchill, by God, you know, helped him win the second hey. world war, then. You know, hey, I knew you, I knew you damn salesies were taking naps in the middle of the day. <laughs> Only Christ. on weekdays. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Weekends when you have stuff to do, right? I'm busy. I'm not have fun stuff to do. On weekdays, but you know, weekdays, yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I will give a shout out too to uh, the aura ring. I had one of those for about three weeks before it just mysteriously disappeared off my hand. Never found it. Interesting. Um, but I liked it, and yeah, the app was great, and I was getting good feedback on my sleep, and was making some changes. Uh, yeah, no alcohol during the week, and not not that much on the weekends, except for occasional splurge like tonight. Oh, we're having America's oldest logger. Indeed. Um, but you can add that to your potential future sponsors list. I think Aura Ring will probably want to oh, yes. sign up for this podcast. I'm going to email them immediately after this. I saw a quote from uh, <clears throat> Warren Buffett last week, and he, you know, you're talking about the glorification of not sleeping. He made the comment, uh, he had been quoted as saying that there is no investment out there that is going to cause me to pass up a good night's sleep. He was saying that that is, that is more important than any opportunity for money because you cannot properly function without it. And I think the comment was probably a little exaggerated or drastic, but the, the point comes across that, um, you know, you got to get your priorities straight and make sure that you're, you are getting real sleep every single night. No, that's a good point. I've, he, he is one who's known for, for making sleep a priority and taking the occasional nap, you know, during the day and everybody's different, right? Different. I, I, I do envy those people who only need four or five hours a night there. And there's, you know, Trump was notorious for that, right? He's only needs four hours of sleep and he's got energy all day long. I wish I were like that. I'm just not wired that way. God didn't make me that way. Uh, I need, I need seven or eight hours 
uh, on a pretty regular basis to uh, to feel like I can perform at a decent level. And one of the things that I had kind of highlighted was basically he he has a few questions that might assist in determining if you are getting enough sleep. So <laughs> I am essentially. Uh, I failed on all you of failed these. the self quiz. Oh my God. Yes. It <laughs> says if the power went out and your alarm clock never sounded in the morning, would you sleep past your wake up time by at least four hours? <laughs> do, you hit the snooze, do you hit the snooze button before getting out of bed every single day of my life? Are you groggy in the morning upon waking, taking a while to ramp up to funk to a functional level? 1000% even after a pot of coffee. Do you require a second or third cup of coffee during the day to keep going strong? Try two to three pots. Do you forget parts of your day like driving every day? Do you struggle to finish your workout? Mm, Yes. Do you know what day it is right now? That's kind of a joke. And do you stay irritated with chipper people to fantasize and fantasize about knocking them out every, every, every time. So (laughs) I, I 1000% my wife is kind of, beat you know kind of attack me a little bit or or said over and over again that i don't sleep enough um at the same time she's also the one who talks shit about me getting more sleep than she does but um she's pure evil what what can i say she hates this podcast and she hates all of us issues Mm -hmm. (laughs) one thousand percent she's if you know renee you know that she's just piss and vinegar and just the meanest person on the planet that sounds that sounds about right. Um, I, I think the best part that I got out of the sleep chapter, and this was something I used to do back when I was very consistent, but I've gotten off it lately. It's probably might have something to do with four children. I don't know, but uh, the key to use utilizing circadian rhythm effectively is consistency. Yeah. You got to keep a steady schedule for sleep and waking. So my wife used to always get on to me because you know. There was times when I was waking up at 5 a.m. every day, but whether it's 5 or 6, I would set my alarm every day of the week, Saturdays and Sundays. And she's just like, what the hell are you doing? And Consistency was always the answer. Like, I've got to train my body to be used to waking at 6 o'clock or whatever time. And that's how you get yourself into a rhythm. And a few years ago, my New Year's resolution was to wake up every single day of that year at 5 a.m., and I was on a roll and I did it until we had our child mm-hmm. and I got out of the routine and I never got back in the routine. It totally screwed me up, but I was fine for like eight months. Um, and then all of a sudden it was blown. So I love that idea of consistency. It's hard as shit to do. Um, but I, I, that was that was my big takeaway in the sleep chapter. Yeah, I, those. I mean, the two things you hit on make it really hard. Having a marital partner who may be on a different page with that than you are, and uh, and kids for sure. Kids are gonna take. They're just gonna take you out of that uh, for a few years. And, uh, but you know, the things you know, don't watch TV in bed, right? Don't do anything in bed but sleep and have sex. And you know, mm-hmm. my wife Love likes that. to watch TV in bed. And, and I was like, you rather like, not, no, but we should be having sex right now or you should be sleeping. <laughs> Steven, you don't have a, you don't have a TV in your bedroom, right? We do not. We have actually never had a TV in our bedroom since we've been married. Nothing, no distractions, no phone, no nothing, which has been nice. And on your iPhone, I don't know about your, 
your communist phone, David, but on the iPhone, you can set a bedtime. So at 1030, I no longer receive notifications. I don't get any alerts until the morning. We don't even keep our phones in our room at night. That's, that's now, now we have, still have a home phone. So kid, you know, our son away at college knows if there's an emergency, call the home phone. It'll ring. But our wow. cell phones, don't even keep them in the room. No, don't worry. I, I, did, that a, I did that a couple of years ago, and I, I feel like that was a big step in the right direction. I've, I leave it at another room. And it, it's been a great change. Yeah. Okay, that's chapter one. That is. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> good. Just... What ten, twelve more to go? <laughs> it's actually chapter. It's actually chapter two. We just get straight through chapter one. So we did, didn't uh, we? we're yeah, we're we're efficient right here. I right, know what yeah. chapter one is about, but chapter did, two is reading is right. sleeping. So, I do want to talk so, about this breathing chapter for a minute because I got a question for you guys. Hell yeah, I didn't. So he talks about the importance of breathing deeply into your lungs, and he sets it up by saying he gives you know speeches, and when he talks about this, he'll tell everybody to take a deep breath. And everybody does, and their chest goes out, right? Because sure, that's 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 what you kind of train yourself to do, so you don't look fat, and especially men, you know, puff out the chest. Women too, I guess. And uh, the boobies. And he says the important thing that's breathing all wrong. You need to breathe deeply into your lungs. But then he also says take small breaths, not big ones, and to breathe through your nose. So so my question is, how do you take? How do you breathe deeply into your lungs without taking? A big breath. Until okay. you asked that question, I never thought of that, and I don't know how the hell you're supposed to do that. 100%. I tried it. I'm like, I, I okay, do I'm gonna believe try it. But it's a big breath. Okay, so I agree with I dis I agree and disagree. I do think though that I have heard and I have been told, even in the military and even outside the military, uh, that reset breaths are normal. So like every once in a while you'll have like a random like like out of nowhere kind of a big one yeah one big one and it's like you're resetting everything right and so I've been told that's very normal and that's necessary like your body's gonna do it no matter what you it's a subconscious thing he's got three rules of breathing number one the most efficient air exchange takes place in the lower lungs which is what we're talking about yep number two smaller breaths are the best which is also what we're talking about. And then number three, and I think we've all heard this one before, most most of the people that have played sports in their past, noses are designed for breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, a good one, yeah. And what was, I don't know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to look, but I think if I understood it correctly, I, I think, Looking at my past, especially with athletics, always told like in through the nose, out through the mouth. But I believe what he was saying was that you're always use you should be using your nose. Yeah, he didn't have the I noticed that too. He didn't have the out through the mouth thing that I've always heard. Correct. Yeah, I think he stayed a hundred hundred percent in the nose. Mm-hmm. So that was that was different. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think so. When you asked me earlier, so this is one of the the other couple things that I actually tried to change and concentrate on. Uh, there's only been a few times I'm pretty adverse to cardio, uh, but I did go on a run and a few times during, from the start, from the time I read this chapter to now, uh, but I noticed it last, the few times I ran was with through my chest. And so my chest was getting, mm-hmm. like it was like I was lifting a st- stack of bricks cause I have huge 
super muscular pecs. Pectorals. Yeah, I was right. admiring those. Yeah. yeah Giant. Hold, hold a BB like between your pecs. Arnold Schwarzenegger level of pecs. Um, God. Uh, <laughs> it's not at all true. So, but I did feel like it was like I couldn't keep up. And then I, when I was running, I started to think about it. It came to my mind. I'm like, all right, I'm going to see if I can concentrate while running on breathing with my stomach, not just my chest. And I, it absolutely made a difference. Mm. 100%. Not like it just totally revolutionized. I'm like, it's not like I can run that much further, but I did feel better. All right. What'd you think about the food and water chapter? One of the first things that I thought, not necessarily interesting, but good to just kind of pay attention to was this, just the data, right? So like mm-hmm. he's saying that the correct amount of water you need in ounces on a daily basis would be equal to 40 to 60% of your body weight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, make that easy. So 50% of your body weight in ounces is what you should be drinking on a daily basis. So, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just good information to have, you know, yeah. if you can... Because you've got a lot of people these days that are focusing on these things, you know, that you talked about earlier, people are pushing back on this, this sleep thing and people are making sure that they have the right amount of water every day. And this is one of those things. Well, if you're going to do that, if you want to be healthier, you need to set a goal and don't say like, Hey, I need to drink eight cups of water. Like put a little science behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. And look at it. So, you know, for me, that's 85 ounces of day um what? how many ounces hold on hold how, on. Many how much do you weigh you weigh like 120 right yeah right around there so you need like 14 to 20 ounces a day. <laughs> like one bottle so how of many water a- should be good how many ounces are in a gallon 32 no that's a quart no, 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 no four times right. that 128 so not even a full gallon of water a day for me 85 ounces yeah but that's at rest, right? That's not even con- considering that you're riding your little um, bicycle or your little stationary Peloton. bike, Peloton. So, I mean, he didn't really get into that. He didn't talk about the difference if you're if you're exercising, you know. He's and and maybe that's where I I should push that number up to sixty percent instead of breaking it at fifty percent and and just say, hey, look, all right, so I want to shoot for ninety ounces a day. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. He said, if you drink things like coffee, tea, alcohol, energy drinks, those actually mean you need more. They're not, they're not substitutes for water. They dehydrate you. So the sentence that jumped out of me was that craft IPA that you like may mean you need an additional 20 ounces of water. Like, Ooh, (laughs) that means I need like a hundred additional ounces of water. (laughs) You're like, damn it. I definitely need more. <laughs> I really got to pee now. So so that is something that um, back in my, uh, in college, that was something that I had always read and was told was that you need a, as a, someone who lifts and just like a, your average, like mid twenties person or early twenties, like it's assumed that you're drinking coffee, you're drinking alcohol, you're drinking certain things that dehydrate you. So everything I read was like, if you work out, regularly every week three at least three times a day, uh, week you should be drinking at a minimum one gallon a day that should be your really? minimum and then if you drink more then that's that's probably good it's not going to hurt you but that was just assuming hey you work out three times a day or three times a week so you work out hard three times a week you're probably drinking alcohol you're probably drinking coffee 
you should be drinking at least a gallon to kind of take into account like you're you're going to dehydrate yourself too based off of some of the things you drink. And that was before like that was right when uh, Red Bull and Monster mm-hmm. really started taking off. So that was more just about alcohol and coffee. So that's always kind of been my approach is just I need at least a gallon. And I'm, what, four, five, six, seven times bigger than David, so, like, muscle-wise. so Yeah, not taller, thicker. Just just, <laughs> very just short. girth. A lot more girth than David. So Very, very girthy. Ask Addison. So <laughs> we... Uh, <laughs> So we Addison is the uh, teenage boy that works in my office. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners, <laughs> Addison is one thousand percent David's wife. We need to get her on the show just to talk about her experiences. The food, I think, is pretty incredible. I do think it's very underestimated how how impactful the preservatives is in our daily food. There was a kid, um, and I've heard many stories about this before, but I actually, like, this was one that I actually kind of experienced and saw with my own eyes. Um, He had his son, his oldest son was, I would, I grew up with, my older sister is mentally ill. She's developmental age. She's autistic. She's schizophrenic. uh, She's bipolar. um, Those are the main ones. (laughs) Um, So she's a lot of things autistic the whole autistic uh scale or she's on the spectrum none of that was was around when she was back in when she was like 10 11 12 years old that wasn't a thing it was either you were autistic or not Mm -hmm. um and so she's definitely autistic so this kid was borderline to me watching him he's probably six seven years old the first time i was around him and he was around my kids and all these other kids i would have said he's autistic he he was very violent. He was just he was just weird. He was very just kind of aggressive, just weird acting. Uh, we didn't go to this church for a little bit. We came back. We joined the small group. Re back into this small group again. Probably about a year later, he was doing really well. He seemed like a different child. I'm no bullshit. Different child. I talked to his dad. I said, "Hey, man." How is so-and-so doing? Um, it seems like he's doing great. And he said, the, and I said, did you, you know, what did you guys do? Did you guys get a medication? What happened? And he said, honestly, uh, they tried medications, didn't work. Same thing with this author who has an autistic child. He said they went to uh, California, went to this super uh, food, allergist, whatever, cut out all these things, went to Whole Foods, cut out all these dyes, cut out all this stuff, preservatives, all these chemicals. And he's like, honestly, it's the only thing that completely changed his entire personality. Not just like his mood, his whole personality. And to me, that's frightening. Like, that's crazy. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this topic. um, Yeah. Because on on the one hand... You, yeah, you can't just put crap in your body all the time, right? 100%. You can't just sit, I mean, you know, I, I liked his quote where he said, we have to be willing to be the 1% and lead a contrarian life whenever possible. The masses are eating potato chips and watching reality TV. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't just eat potato chips and Twinkies and frozen pizza and crap all the time or your body's going to pay for it. But I think, and I think varies by individual too. I mean, I have a sister who's who will eat something and is like, was there red dye number five in this? Because my <laughs> my hair itches. 
Oh, God. Like, okay. I mean, okay, but yeah, she's that's sensitive. Too much. Yeah. And so you can definitely go overboard. You know, this. I think your body doesn't know the difference between a free-range chicken versus one that was raised in a coop and fed hormones and dog food to be cut up into chicken nuggets. I don't think your body can tell a difference. But... So there, I think there's a there's a balance between just eating crap and then being such an extremist that you think every preservative and hormone that's in food is is terrible for you because I think your body really processes things pretty efficiently and the stuff that's not good it's going to weed out and the stuff that's good it's going to use for fuel. Yeah, there's two ways to look at it, obviously, and you know, obviously, we don't know the science behind it, and even if there is science out there, it's buried by very uh wealthy companies that don't want it out there but uh i'm probably somewhere in the middle you know we we try and have a very my wife is a dietitian um so we cook in a very healthy way um but i i think brian brings up great points i mean i know for a fact you know me and every other person i know we were raised on the the crap you know, the, the sugary drinks, the, the pizza, the oh, junk food. Like, Pop-tarts and sugar smacks, baby. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that was back then. It was a healthy, balanced diet. So, <laughs> and, and the, the majority of people were on that stuff and they were fine. Obviously, there are extreme cases and outliers like Steven's example. Um, but we have got to focus on being healthier and putting the right stuff in our body because it makes us feel better. It keeps us in shape. It prevents the aging process, right? It prevents the future issues that are going to pop up that we're essentially making those deposits into the bank right now, but they're not going to show up for years. So I definitely think that there's a, there's a middle ground there where where both of them are are very accurate and we've got to find a way like when Stephen was talking, I can't imagine going down that road with my kids. And because, I mean, the, the biggest part of it is the, the ease and the access of the shitty food, right? It like the kids are hungry. They need something now. And with the healthy stuff, it, it, it takes more time. It takes planning. You got more money, a lot more, more money, usually money trips to the grocery store. I mean, there's so much involved. So should it be done? Absolutely. Would my wife, literally snap one day and lose her mind because she's trying to feed kids a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, that would happen too. So we, we gotta, we gotta walk that, walk that line and make sure that we're doing as good as we can. Yeah. So, and is, is some of the stuff I'm curious about this, I think some of the additives aren't necessarily a bad thing. Like both of my kids are like giants way yeah. bigger than they ought to be. If you look <laughs> at me, me and my wife, and I mean, not fat either, big, strong, healthy kids. And I got to think a lot of it is because we, we never held back on any of the hormones, right? We gave them the, the, the milk off the shelf and meat that was farm raised for humans, if all full of hormones. And I got to think that's part of the reason they're, they're as, as big as they are. Yeah, like and six is taller than you. Exactly. And I'm yeah. thrilled. I'm glad they are. Sure. Um, Whereas I, I ate all the stuff David talked about, right? The, the donuts and sugar smacks and Twinkies growing up. Which is funny because I've also heard um, <clears throat> adults who, so you have two boys, I have a girl. I've also heard the same argument, kind of the, 
the reverse side from dads who are like, my daughter has boobs. Puberty at 10. At (laughs) nine and a half years old, and she's growing boobs. And Mm -hmm. she has, and it's like, God, these HGH, just all this crap, this growth hormone stuff that's in milk and all these things. So I definitely think it's it's biased versus, I mean, I'm like, hell yeah, give my kid as many, my son, as many growth hormones as he can get. Right. But like my, my daughter, I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's prevent puberty ever. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I agree. I think you have to do as best you can. I've talked to Renee as well. Um, the preservatives serve a purpose uh, as far as like going to the grocery store. If we bought whole food every time, we'd probably go, she, she was like, because I don't go to the grocery store because I'm blessed with a awesome wife. So she's like, hey, we'd probably have to go to the grocery store two to three times a week yeah. as much as we eat. And, and it doesn't stay good. you got to eat it all within like three, four days. There's a great Simpsons episode about that where they go, they decide, <laughs> Marge decides they're going to buy organic food. So they go to like whole, whole, the Simpsons equivalent of Whole Foods and they have like, you know, eight things on the conveyor and this, the clerk's like that's that'll be 175 dollars and then it all like wilts while while before before they pay it's all shriveled up and die and homer's like ah, it sucks all right so, so um I've, I've got one while we're, while we're still on the food chapter and i have this come up um in my office all the time so um you know obviously at the office, we do birthdays and potlucks and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, once again, I eat healthy and I try and stay away from the crap as much as possible. And, you know, anytime I'll like pass on something, I always get the same question. Are you on a diet? And like, no, I'm not on a fucking diet. I'm just, I'm just not an animal um, or a just fat, nasty slob. But his, his chapter here talking about what you put in your body, um, he's talking about, having a long-term permanent plan and proper eating is a lifestyle and focusing on eating real food. And that's always my message. And I obviously don't want to turn into some like preacher when people just want to bring it up because no one's, no one's looking to get taught on that stuff. But like, that's what people have to realize. Like diets are so fucking dumb. You have got to implement change in your life that you're going to stick with and stay on. Like you don't go do Atkins or paleo for 30 days to go lose weight because you're going to put it right back on. You've got to create a lifestyle and say, Hey, look, I'm just going to eat healthy every once in a while. Can I have some ice cream? Absolutely. I had some Ben and Jerry's two nights ago. It was fantastic, but that's probably the only time I'm going to do that this month because we eat healthy. It's the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I I love that he talks about that. Like short term is not real. Diets are stupid. You got to create a long-term plan and stick with it. Yeah. And, you know, definitely different schools of thought on that, right? One extreme is the the fasting. Don't only eat between 12 and six deal versus six small meals a day, right? I, I don't know that matters which one you do, just that you kind of do one and stick with it and have some discipline about what, what you're eating and when you're eating and yeah. how much you're eating. I think I think that's the biggest thing right there. How much are you eating? David, are you typing something right it sound, now? It sounds like you're sorting your cassette tape collection. <laughs> Damn, these earbuds are 
Dang it. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, you need to stop it immediately. Are you transcribing the podcast? Uh, sorry, fans. I am actually the uh, court-appointed secretary for today's case. Just wanted to record all the minutes, so I apologize. I got two more points on food before we move on because this chapter has been long. Number one, establish a cheat day. Don't negotiate, trade, or make exceptions. Stick to whatever your cheat day is. Um like that, that's good. The other one was be diverse in what you eat. So I, I think as a just humanity, we're seeing much more um, common occurrences of food allergies. And with my wife being a dietitian, I get to learn about all this fun stuff. And it's from repetitive eating. And so many of us eat the same things over and over. We develop these uh, egg allergies. We develop these chicken allergies because we eat them all the damn time. So the, I love the idea of the diversity, and I don't know if it's this book or another one, but they talk about for, for lunch every day, you should just make a salad, but it should be something different every day, you know, like switch up your fruit, switch up your vegetables, put some beans in there, some grains in there, some nuts in there, and just have this diversity every day of all this good stuff. And um, uh, it was a good reminder of that so that we can have our bodies at uh, peak performance at all times. All right. Well, yep. thanks for coming to our podcast. <laughs> no, I like that one. I know. I agree. I agree with you on the, on the diversity side. Yep. I think that's a huge deal. And that's something I do a pretty poor job of. Cause I am, I don't have a problem eating pretty much the same thing every day, maybe changing it at night, like dinner or something. But for the most part, I can eat pretty much the same thing. And I think my body is starting to reject whey protein because hmm. uh, I'm a meathead, and that's like half of what I eat. Um, so moving on, let's move on to a different chapter. So we've got, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go to the emotion, the motion and emotion, which is chapter six of uh, the ch- the book. Um, a lot of this was, some of this was kind of crazy. Uh, what did you guys think of like the whole, like if he finds himself in like a, like a, bad spot mentally like a down area he would like either do the superman pose or he would like take a lap around his house or like do something to like physically change his emotions yeah so a few years ago steven won't know this because he's not very good at his job but correct at, uh, one of our work conferences we brought a outside speaker in and she was known for body positioning and her deal was the wonder woman pose and she had us all doing her through the exercise but there is science behind what happens in your body and whether it's endorphins or whatever, I'm not a scientist, but making those poses, right? The Superman pose, Wonder Woman pose, it changes the way that you feel. And that's why we've got to, you know, if we're feeling like crap, we got to get up and move our bodies, whether it's doing some jumping jacks or some push-ups or standing like Superman, there is science behind it that it will alter the chemicals inside your body. Yeah, so that speaker, that she was one of my favorite ever. She was at uh, Chairman Circle, right? Yep, that's little, right. Little skinny blonde headed lady. Terms, sir. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and she's got like the third or fourth most watched TED Talk on on the internet. I can't remember her name, but yeah, she was great. And uh, Tony Robbins talks about this too. Um, he does this, you know, this thing. If you're feeling down, you use your use your body and its physical positioning to change your state 
uh, to change your mental state, right? Rather than like for most of us, our mental state dictates our physical state. If you're feeling confident and on top of the world, you stand tall, your chest is out, your shoulders are back. If you're feeling like crap, you're kind of hunched over, shoulders are down, you're slumped. And so the idea is change, you know, cause and effect, right? If you want to feel confident, then stand confident, right? And then that'll your body doing that'll make you feel confident. Kevin Elko was also a speaker, and he says at this, he says, uh, "Do you sing because you're happy, or are you happy because you're sing, you sing?" And I love that way of putting it, right? Right? Do you sing because I'm in a good mood and I'm happy, or what if I start singing? You know what? Maybe I'll become in a good mood and be happy. And it's that whole concept. I think it's great. I absolutely. Um, believe in that and try to try to use that when I'm in a, you know, mentally in a place I don't want to be. So I would agree. I think, um, I have tried some of that. I've tried to actually, uh, I, I would say the, the most impactful thing about that, that point throughout this chapter was, um, when he was talking about this, it's not that I dis I disagree with it at all. Taken back, we're like, hey, you know what? I don't know that I've ever really just noticed or been that intentional on paying attention to how I felt in that moment, like when I was down or just in like in a crappy mood or my, my emotions were low or whatever. And so I think that to me, that was one of the more, one of the things I took away from was maybe I need to, I need to pay more attention to how I'm, I'm feeling in that moment and be more intentional about making and like taking notice of it, taking note of how I feel. And I, since then I have caught uh, myself where I'm just kind of in a crappy mood and I don't feel like doing anything. I feel lazy. I just feel like whatever, whatever the deal is, whether it's at work or not at work or at home, weekends, weekdays, whatever. And I just, I, I've kind of caught myself where I'm like, you know what? I need to get my ass up and like run around, do some jumping jacks, do something, just change my physical state to change my mental state. And Another good reminder I got from this chapter was, um, any part, this came from, uh, oh shit, I shouldn't have even said this because I'm going to butcher the name. Greek philosopher. Oh, I know, I know what you're, yeah, that one jumped out at me too. And Epictetus, Epictetus, yeah, Epe, well, whoever the hell his name is, but any said. person capable of angering you becomes your master. Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's just so good. Like it, that is something that I want ingrained in my head. Mm -hmm. I want to write it down somewhere and constantly look at it because it's such a great reminder. You should get a tattoo of it on your wrist. I was going to say it has to be somewhere visible. Like um, every basic bitch. I know. I could have it on the back of your wife's neck and then I'd see it. Often. <laughs> um, Oh, 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 that's so that's good. That's so good. That uh, was really yeah. good. Well, that was quickly tramp stamp on her lower uh, back yeah. there where you'd see it every day. That's a great <laughs> idea, though. Yeah. So anyway, uh, just <laughs> great reminder that if you find yourself in that situation, it should be a slap in the face saying like, hey, this person should not have space in my mind. Get it out, move on, and focus on you being in control of your situation. So, I think I think that's one you just cannot read enough. Love that. Yep. I thought one of his most powerful stories was his efforts to maintain his own mindset when he was dealing with a special needs kid. Mm -hmm. That's a you know that's a whole level of challenge that I'm. I thank God I haven't had to deal with and. 
Uh, my heart goes out to people who do, uh, and to, to focus on what you have to be grateful for as you're dealing with something like that. Uh, man, that's, uh, that's really powerful stuff. I think I've got a friend right now, uh, who's, he's my age. So young in my mind, old, uh, very old, young to be dying, right. Of cancer. Uh, and okay, well, that was a bear trap. Thank you. There for you that. go. Yep, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> you walked right into Son it. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so insensitive. I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk. We've already established that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he he's just dealing with it with such grace. And he says, you know, not not why me? Why not me? You know, why not me? And Because I can handle it. And yeah, like it, it's, it's just so inspirational to see somebody deal with something like that and take that kind of an attitude. And uh, so, yeah, I like this chapter too. I thought those were really good points. So there's a, that goes really well with one thing I uh, highlighted in this, my, my, this chapter's mindset. I don't know if we said that, but um, this was a much easier. Uh, Hold on one second. What is going on no, over there? The old man is having a cramp. Oh God! His hamstring is cramping. <laughs> get that, get that man a banana. He's get dying banana. over here. <laughs> All right, it's good. It's all good here. That's He's uh, having a convulsion ooh, over but, here because of from those heavy squats I was doing earlier. <laughs> <laughs> My dog know, has come over to check on him. <laughs> Everything, uh, he, his whole body was shaking because he's just pulled a hamstring sitting here. <laughs> his hamstring. Oh my god, that was had, awesome. So had muscles at your age, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an old rubber band. <laughs> um, so Mar- Marcus Aurelius said this, and he said that he said, "Choose not to be harmed, and you won't feel harmed. If you don't feel harmed, you haven't been." So I think that goes perfectly with what Brian just mentioned about, you know, there's people out there that feel like they're victims and it's us versus them mentality. Like just choose not to, it's literally that simple and you're, you'll be fine. Just worry about yourself and move on. Yeah, I agree. I think that, um, you know, and I, not to get on a, a, a major soapbox and it's not that PTS is isn't real Uh, i know many veterans that have very real problems um they've been blown up in a truck they've lost um many of their um fellow like brothers or sisters and they they watch them die like that's a different level uh but i do think that part of the transition for me and a lot of veterans that um i don't have pts i did not witness i've had friends die but i didn't watch them die which is a major it's a massive difference um and I, and i'm not i don't regret not feeling that or seeing that or going through that um but when you come back uh you definitely feel and even my wife and other um spouses of veterans have have kind of gone through this when you come back you you get back you kind of like assimilate back into this group of people uh that don't that have a very different set of values and set of um perspective on life and when i got back that was something i struggled with was these people who identified they they're the problems they identified the things that they thought were a big deal or or um uh, stuff that they complained about, worried about, whatever. It was just, it, it just seemed so asinine to me and my wife. 
Um, mindset. I, I feel like this one's a life hack here that so many people just do not understand. Um, once we establish the specific goals for our being, everything starts orienting towards them. So this was, this was just a small part of the book, but there are so many books out there that are written on this one premise. You know, the, um, oh, Jesus Christ, what's the name of it? Not the, not the miracle. Um, uh, oh, I'm going to just fail this one. But, this one um, thing? Think and Grow Rich, um, whatever the hell that book was about thinking about things and they'll come to fruition. But anyway, the, <laughs> it's it's essentially the, the law of attraction. I mean, that that's all it is. And that's what that one thing is. It's like figure out what you're doing, why you're doing it, and set your mind on something, and you will go in that direction. And it's literally that easy. And if you just put belief behind it, you're going to head there. And no matter how big the goal is, like once you make a decision, you'll work towards it. And it's that simple. And I just, it drives me crazy when, I mean, there's just so many people out there that just do not understand that. And once again, I just think it's a life hack. Just decide to do something. You may not do it today or tomorrow, but if you truly believe in it and you're focused on it, you will get there. Yeah, I agree. I think it, on uh, so I underlined page 99, which goes just along the same thing you're saying is it's, it's under a subcategory of the chapter seven, which is the mindset chapter. And it talks about character rules and it just says we cannot aimlessly roam and expect major progress. We must select prudent, and virtuous targets that fit within our desired character. And I think that was something that, that stood out. Like you just, you can't, you have to be intentional. You have to have a plan. You have to have kind of some kind of vision of where you want, where it is you want to be and who you want to be. And then move towards that. You can't just float around and just kind of say, well, you know, whatever happens, happens, man. And then bitch and moan because you didn't become who you want to be. I got I got one quick thing for yeah, yeah. human uh, what is it human needs yeah, oh, yeah. human needs chapter um, this goes in line with what you were talking about with people bragging about how little sleep they get um, this talks about how now people these days and I feel like you hear this all the time brag about their anxiety and depression the medication they're on uh, like like they're he said like they brag about it like it's a competitive sport and what he talked about is essentially which is Good God, so annoying. People like, oh yeah, well, I'm on this medication. I'm all jacked up. I'm in. What he says is that people love their problems nowadays because essentially they protect they protect us from scrutiny. You know, it's it's kind of like the hall pass, right? And just you know, put the shield down, own it, and you know, yeah, maybe you do have that stuff, but don't let it be your crutch, and don't turn it into a glory story, you know, about, about how messed up you are. Yeah. I, I, that hit me too. I, I, I like that chapter. I thought he kind of missed the point though. I mean, I think that's a result of the, uh, the victim glorification culture that Correct. exists now. We completely like the greatest thing you can be as a victim. Like, what are you a victim of? And I think we're raising people, young people to be, everybody's a victim of something and there's, there's honor in that. And I, I couldn't, I just, I couldn't disagree more strongly with that 
school of thought than anything. So, so David, you shared this, that those lines with me, I I had already had them because I was, I had already read that past that part. And, um, I'm happy to report that I did underline the exact same line. And he said, it's on page 132. He said, self-pity, depression, and anxiety can all fill the need for significance too. In trying to meet needs alone, we often make ourselves feel important through suffering. Some people brag about their anxiety or depression as if they are competitive sports, as though having more severe neurosis is a trophy. And I think you're right, Brian, and I think that, and I agree with you, David, I think that it's some of it, though, is a side effect of older generations, and I think it's some of it is a side effect of an unforeseen on side effect of our country's kind of makeup of, as Americans, and as we are taught and as we grow up, it's some of the greatest stories you hear is overcoming adversity. Rugged individualism, baby. Absolutely. And so it's, you. what have you overcome? And what have you done? And what have you, Muhammad Ali, and it, all these people. I mean, everybody. Like, every every sports athlete, the better story is, well, he had or she had some crazy adversity. Whatever it is, they overcame that adversity they triumphed, and then now they're the hero of their own story, and they succeeded to this unbelievable level. Yeah, but you're talking about the, the honor that you're talking about was in overcoming your adversity. Now the honor is in to wallow in it, right? Okay, yeah. That's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. what I think the difference is. The, uh, it used to be a thing, a thing we would hold up, a heroic thing, to have a difficult hand you've been dealt and overcome it. Sure. Now... The honor is in wallowing in it, and oh, I'm poor, still poor me. I'm still depressed. I'm yeah. still struggling. Okay, there's it. no honor in that. Right? No, overcome right. it. There's honor. Overcome in that. it. I'm, I'm. I'll ask for your autograph. <laughs> right, right. I don't really give a shit that you're sitting there. But now we're going to bring you on, nothing. Now we're going to bring you on Oprah just to talk about how you're wallowing in this <laughs> circumstance. Well, okay. Sorry, I don't. I dismiss it. Yeah, I agree. I think you're 100 percent right. Brian, tell us some meditation. Oh, meditation. So, you know, this one intrigued me because I'm interested in meditation. I like this quote of Pascal um, who said, all of humanity's problems stem from a man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I have read about meditation. I have tried meditation. I think after reading his chapter, maybe I haven't tried it long enough. Cause I get frustrated, you know, my mind wanders and I find I'm, then I'm working on my grocery list and I've completely, I'm not meditating. I'm just kind of sitting there <clears throat> waiting for it to be over moving on already. <laughs> yeah, Waiting until <laughs> I can get on with my day and say, and check the meditation box. I am terrible at this. I'd like to be good in it. I think there's value in it. Um, I think there's probably some, you know, uh, mysteries I haven't discovered yet because I haven't been able to master this and I'd like to, but, uh, I don't know. Have you guys had any success at meditation? So I was at, uh, MDRT last week and the speaker was talking about mindset and health and stuff. And they said, all right, everybody in the room, raise your hand if you meditate. And, you know, some hands went up and then he asked, 
raise your hand if you failed at meditation. And then like nearly the entire room raised their hand, Hmm. Um, which is exactly what you're talking about. It's like people have tried it. They want to do it and they fail. But then he came back and said, the only people that fail at meditation are the ones that are not doing it. Because there is no successful meditation. The point is unplugging, getting away to a quiet space, and practicing. And that's why they call it practicing meditation. Because you never perfect it. You have got these monks that that's their entire life. And and they still have to practice it. Because it's, it's nearly impossible to completely clear your mind, right? So um, I thought that was a really good lesson. Is that if you're doing it at all you're succeeding and that's what it's all about is setting aside the time unplugging and just working on it having some quiet time and um you know i I used to i've gotten i've gotten away from it i I felt the same way you did god am i am i getting anything out of this am i doing it right and i used to it a long time me and uh, a couple buddies after a work conference we did it for we probably did it for a, a year or two um I'm gonna I'm gonna blame my damn kids again. They ruin everything in my life. But um, <laughs> kids are got absolute soul suckers. The, the worst, or the worst. But eventually, I kind of got out of the routine, and it's hard to get back in. And now I I uh, essentially cheat. I turn it on at night when I'm about to go to bed, and then I'm asleep in like 45 seconds anyway. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, there's so many benefits attached to it. It's just. It's hard to feel them and see them, though, when you're in the middle of it, right? That's the frustrating part. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that um, so. I would love to be, obviously, on the outside, it, you can't see anything, but be inside Steven's brain watching him. <laughs> so, Wheels on the bus yeah. going round and round. Just round about and to say. Round, round and round. <laughs> Squirrel! Wheels on the bus. I feel like. You are underestimating my brain because there's no way I can make it all the way through wheels on the bus <laughs> go round and round before it'd be like wheels on the what is that made of? There's a wall right there. Oh, hold on. Wheels on what kind the of bus. bus was it? Look at that. Look at what that kind picture of over there. Wheels. On, oh, there's another squirrel. Look at that. Look at that. It's a beautiful tree. Wheels on the bus. Oh, no. God. Son of a bitch. You guys are 1000% correct. It is very hard to slow my brain down um, and to get it to focus on one thing without medication. Um, but I do believe it is somewhat possible. Um, I, I do think that medically I do have ADHD. That's a real thing. I don't think that's something that's just in your mind and it can just easily be controlled. But I do think meditation is something that can, can improve it. Uh, so it's something I've tried. And since the book, I've not tried it before. I've heard about it. Uh, I, I think that he does a pretty decent job in the book of describing like what it should be like. Um, and because of the aura ring and the app, it actually kind of, there's a couple that like walk you through it. So it kind of talks you through the whole thing. And then it's like, you can take some after that. Like once you get good at it, you don't need like, um, audible prompting. And it's like the audible prompts are just essentially like, think about breathing and then listen to, or feel the air going in your nose and out of your nose like feel it on your lip yeah Yeah. and so it it kind of at least gave me some i don't know something to kind of put my mind towards um but yeah i thought it was i thought it was 
I think it could, I like that he said even, it could be prayer. It could be, it doesn't have to be like your, your mind completely blank the whole time. I think that's the ultimate goal, but even like people's quiet time kind of reminded me of it. Like where you can sit there, you can read, and then you can just kind of sit there and just be present and, 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 and then being methodical about it. Um, I, I really liked that. And I like that he has like a meditation chair. Like he has a spot where it's like, Hey, go to this point at this point. In time, like my body knows, like, this is what I'm, I'm trying to train my brain to get better at this. And like, this is what I'm doing in this spot of the house every freaking day at the same time. Yeah. I think that would help. Uh, I have not tried that yet, but. Well, I have, but it's the same chair I I work in, and I yeah. think that's probably bad. I probably need to. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna. I'm not share the visual that Stephen just exposed me to. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> if y'all need... want, if if this is something y'all are you know actually trying to do and, and work on the meditation, I would strongly recommend Headspace. Um, I've I've used at least four or five meditation apps at this point. And I mean, none of them are anywhere close to headspace. Okay. Headspace is hands down the best thing I've ever seen when it comes to the meditation space. And, um, it's, it's awesome. It's fantastic. And they got all kinds of different meditation, whether you want to focus on, um, you know, anxiety or confidence or sleep or they have just a, a bunch of different ones and it's all right. it's headspace all right yeah just, uh just downloaded right now another sponsor for you it's also an yeah. editor's yeah. choice yeah. cool so um uh moving on to i don't i don't really know that what what chapter is the meditation one on just 10 next one's minimalism chapter 10 Minimalism, I got a good one here. Um, it's really the only two things I highlighted in this chapter, but I thought they were so important. Number one was, does your calendar match your values? Mm-hmm. And number two was aggressively defend against things that steal your time, energy, and potential. And that's something that for the past few years I've really, really, really tried focusing on in my business is figuring out the – the big things. And there's a couple books I read, um, start with why, mm-hmm. uh, the one thing mm-hmm. and 12 week year, they really focus on, all right, figure out what do we need to be doing? What is most important? And then structure your day around that, AKA your calendar, and then get everything else out of your way. And that's, that's really how I took those, those two things. And, um, God, they are just so damn important. Yeah, I, I wrote on here that this is one of my favorite chapters that I, I, I really need to do this. Um, and I've kind of done it. Like, I, I don't have some things that either I thought I want to have or I used to have and don't have anymore. I like how he says, the stuff we own tends to own us. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Uh, and I think there's just so much truth to that. And I do think my wife and I try to be intentional about not doing that. We're not keep up with the Jones kind of people. But at the same time, we got way too much damn stuff. Way mm-hmm. too much stuff. I think you could take half the stuff out of our house and we wouldn't miss it. I just went through the experience of my dad dying. My mom had already died. So then we've got all their stuff, right? Yeah. Stuff that meant a lot 
to them, right? Like the silver set and the china and the Hummels and the, all this crap. <laughs> and where, so my sisters and I are like, well, and all this stuff that he had insured all these years, right? He paid for insurance to protect this stuff. And then now we have to get rid of it. And it's worth like a couple thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I mean, it's worth nothing. He spent more to insure this stuff over the last 30 years than it's worth. And I have his replacement costs and all that, you know, without going into a big insurance deal. But, you know, sure. Around, it's, and, and it didn't mean anything to my sisters and me. We're like, we're not sentimental to this stuff. It's just stuff, right? That's not, it's not my mom and dad. It was there. It was stuff that meant something to them. Doesn't mean it has to mean something to us. And so here you got a house full of stuff that's worth a couple thousand bucks that to them, meant a lot and it's like and that really was kind of powerful for me in thinking about this all the stuff we have right what does it what does it really mean not very damn much the part about the email was cool and this was a wake-up call because good god i i say i need to improve on this and still haven't um what your part? inbox is your the email so your inbox is nothing but a list of demands and expectations you should be the one to set the guidelines for it why are you giving other people complete and nonstop access to you at all times of the day? You need to set when you are going to respond to emails. You should have time that is no email, right? Um, and I saw this from another person recently. I may have been at MDRT, but he coached his clients like I am going to respond to emails at 10 o'clock and four o'clock. Um, if you don't hear from me, don't worry about it. Just wait. And I, good. I mean, how much time do we waste all damn day hopping into our email? Right. Yeah. And it, it is so frustrating to think about, but uh, that, that one right there is a wake up call and I have got to get better at that. So I have been battling this since email became a thing and trying different strategies and setting rules and letting, you know, people who expect me to respond immediately know that I don't, that that's not my system. And you you have to fight a lot of battles. And then text messages are a whole new thing, right? And I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with people where you, did you get my text? Yeah. You didn't reply. Not yet. <laughs> you know, you, you, I can't let your need for this information right now become my priority. It may be your priority right now. I can't make it mine. And there's a balance there, right? Sometimes things are important and you have to, and that is, that is a constant battle. And I wish I had the answer for it, but I do think you have to be the one that controls that for yourself and not let other people control it for you. So I agree. Um, I will toot my own horn, uh, kind of. So I've, I've always done What? That. You? Yeah, I know. I've always done... Shocking. I know. I know. So, so humble. Um, that's, that's, my, that's my job on this podcast, buddy. So, like, there's, like, I guess, like, maybe 40 or 50% of it that I do decent, at least with email. Like, I'm, I'm usually pretty decent, but I have set a rule, like... Um, in my own mind and most of it's because of laziness not because of anything else not time management or anything responsible or adult like it is if I'm going to have to scroll so like if 
so on like Outlook or whatever, like if it gives you that preview, right? And it's a pretty decent amount of like the screen where you can read the email. But if I have to scroll, I'm not going to scroll. I'm probably just going to delete it. And I have gotten to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't read that far. And I'll tell people like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to scroll down on your email. If you wrote me that much crap, I'm just not, it's not going to happen. And I've straight up told people and at first it's weird. And then, and then eventually what happens is they start sending me, if it's important, it's within like five lines Mm -hmm. and then that's it. And then the rest of it, if they send something longer, it's, it's not as important. They just put the, the most important stuff at top. But, uh, that has gotten better, but I do, you do have to train everybody, and it's amazing how much pushback you get on those kind of things. So in uh, moving on to Chapter 12, which is reworking work, uh, did you guys have anything on that whole chapter? I know uh, someone yeah. didn't. Um, Brian didn't make it that far. So we talked about how children love to be measured and see how much they grow. Um, and as we turn into adults, we kind of lose some of those measuring sticks. So it talked about making sure that we're watching small metrics and we're monitoring everything possible. So like you, Steven just talked about how you got the aura ring and you've been paying closer attention to that. And you've seen improvement. We've talked about how people do that with what they're eating. You obviously did a ton of that back in the day when you're bodybuilding. And like, it goes back to, we're going to get results from the things that we measure. So we've got to inspect what we expect. And um, I think that, that was a cool idea. I mean, now some of it, we can go a little overboard, like some of the stuff, you know, I would push back and say, figure out the stuff that truly matters. Because these days with our iWatches and our all the apps that we have on our phones, some of it can actually, I think, lead to additional stress. But if we figure out the things that are important to us, we need to start being better at tracking them. And I love that idea. On page 198, he does talk about, like, maybe you need to set a do not disturb sign or closed door policy for certain blocks of the day for as, as far as productivity uh, he does go into, which I thought was kind of extreme, but at the same time, I think that's kind of the beauty of, I have told, I feel like the last like six months, I have had this discussion many times, whether it was veterans coming out or other, that uh, just the beauty of like owning your own business and and why being like a business owner and the sm- like the small business ownership type thing is the true American dream. Uh, at the end on page 197, I underlined, it says my custom crafted 20 hour, 29 hour work week officially started for the first time in my life. My focus transitioned from increasing income to manipulating the quality of life. I have not regretted it a day, uh, I regretted it, regretted it a day since. So although I can't read, the <laughs> point is. I kind of underlined it and made a note like this is like, that's the true beauty behind being a small business owner. Like you truly do get to kind of control what it is you do. What's important. You get to decide these things and it doesn't always have to be how much more money can you make? It can be like, look, I make enough money and I can also be the dad or the neighbor or be the 
whatever the husband and be involved in nonprofits or do whatever you want to do. This one's a little hard. It's going to be a lot of hard for some people, but let's talk about removing stumbling blocks. So if you figure out your why and you know what direction you're moving, you have to get rid of everything that's in your way. And a big part of that is going to be social media for a lot of people. So he talks about just straight up deleting it from your phone. So deleting social media, deleting uh, games off of your phone, getting your television out of your house, getting rid of the golf membership, like whatever it is, it's getting in the way of where you want to be. He says, do the hard work, create small changes that make long-term differences and do those things well. And you don't need to go to another seminar and another class. What most people need to do is just take action because a lot of us keep making excuses of, oh, I'm just not there yet. I need to keep learning. I need to keep figuring things out. And they never take action. So th this is something I did. I went through a, uh, a, man a management class uh, like five years ago, kind of like taking the next steps as a business owner. And this is one of the things we did. And it was awesome. I was a little bit hesitant. Um, at the beginning, but I, I jumped in and I did it and the results were incredible and I still stick with it to this day, but I d deleted every single game off of my phone. Um, I have not downloaded any since, you know, there was a time where like I would lay in bed at night and instead of going to bed or reading, like me and my wife would freaking play candy crush. <laughs> and it's like, Dude, what are, what, the fuck, what are you doing? You're 30, you have kids, you have businesses. Why are you freaking playing a game on your phone? You know, like once you get to the realization, you're like, grow the fuck up. And, and that's kind of how I saw it. Um, another thing I did was I turned, I didn't delete social media. Social media for oh, me God, is- Oh God, no. Unfortunately, you have not deleted <laughs> social media. Yeah, I, I would pay for you to delete anyone social media. That, Anyone that knows me, they know that that's never going to happen um, because it is a big part of my life. However, what I did do. Actually, I don't know was, that you would live without it. I don't think that uh, no, any of it would I count. I don't really see a point. I don't know why anyone. <laughs> like, Correct. Yes. Kill me now. <laughs> yeah. um, but what I did do is I turned off all the notifications. So, kind of like the email, I started to set the terms of. I'm going to go into it when I want to go into it. I'm not going to go into it every single time I get a notification. So, and this has been five or six years now, and I don't have any notifications on my social media, don't have any games. And I mean, I can't tell you how many hours back of my life that those, those small changes have given me. Um, so anyway, point is, if you figure out what's important to you, you got to make the necessary changes to get there. And sometimes they're going to suck, but if it's the right thing to do, it, it's going to put you into the place you want to be long-term. One of the things you remind me of there, David, the speaker you and I were talking about earlier, who mm -hmm. was talking about oh, the important of power your, pose. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the importance of what your posture can do to your attitude and your, she showed one of the things she did in that presentation was show pictures of people who are depressed and she had all these pictures of people who were depressed and how, they're, how they looked physically. And then she showed pictures of people on their phones. And they had the same posture. Hmm. 
and I, and, and her point was, and, and then a lot of them were kids, right? But it applies to adults too. But her point was, what are, what are we teaching our kids, right? What are they with having this posture while they're on their phones, which is the same as someone who's depressed, slump shouldered, bent over, head down. What does that do to a kid's psyche? And what does it do to an adult psyche? And I'll never forget that. I thought that was so powerful. You just made me sit up straighter in my chair. <laughs> Good. I pulled a hamstring. <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why he almost died earlier, this podcast. Um, so, it, you know, you say that the relationships, were, I thought the money stuff was pretty um, uh, shallow. I think it was very, very, very basic information. I think the relationship stuff was a little bit deeper, but not a lot. Uh, there was some some things that I kind of un- underlined and and thought was decent. Um, he gets really into like love levels and stuff, and I, I don't know. I think that some of that's definitely worth taking time and and I think it's good for people to read and and maybe question yourself on where are you at? What are you you know? Are you selfish? Are you self centered? Are you looking at things where you know you you only love people to get what you can get from them. Uh, so I think that's, that's stuff that people need to, it's not bad to read um, and, and maybe question yourself on. Uh, I think that the other thing that I talked about is uh, something that I think even with business that I've tried to do since I started um, managing people, whether you own your own business or you, you manage other people just dealing with other humans Um, I kind of underlined this. This was on uh, page 236. It is in the relationship chapter, which is the last chapter. It says, if our relationships are suffering, we must take some responsibility for them. If I realize that my staff doesn't love me, I must take ownership of that. I probably dropped the ball somewhere and haven't been loving them well. And I underline that because it it sounds very... um, I don't know, progressive to say like, oh, I love them well and they're not loving me. And I can hear a lot of people and a lot of business owners that say like that that has no place in business, which I completely and utterly disagree with. And I know you do, David, as well, where you have to take care of your people. You have to take care of your team. You have to love them. You have to get to know them on a personal level to a degree. Yes, it's going to make your job harder. It's going to make firing them harder or um, removing them or critiquing them or whatever. It's, it does make it harder, but that's the point. You can never get enough or you will never get the most out of your employees if you don't actually give a shit about them. And right. giving a shit about them means you have to love them. And I don't think you can like half-ass that. You have to either, it's either you love them or you don't. And I it dry, it's always driven me crazy to listen to business owners in different, plenty of different, um, you know, not in insurance, but they're in all kinds of facets of work and business and all kinds of industries. And they're like, oh, there's just no good people out there. There's just no nothing. And, you know, I just can't get anybody that wants to work hard. The millennials can't, they don't like to work. They don't like, like, yeah, sure, there's a few, but for the most part, it's just, you're a dick and you don't give a shit. And, they know that you don't give a shit and they're not going to work hard for you. And that to me was something that I realized, like I I have told other insurance 
agents. I have had this discussion, and I have it with, with myself. If I get told whether I have a high turnover for a period of time or have an employee say something that I don't necessarily agree with and I don't think they're right, but it doesn't matter. If they say, like, you're a jerk or you don't do this or, you're of course, you're not listening or blah, 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 like, even if it's just a side comment, I try very hard. Not I'm not great at it by any means, but I try very hard to take it serious and take a step back and like really look at that and go, all right, am I, do I really not care? Do I really not listen enough? Do I really not like, is there like, I don't want to just dismiss it as, I don't know what the hell that sound was, but it wasn't on my side. Um, I, I don't want it to dismiss it as something that wasn't, that's not real or that's stupid or like, Oh, they, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, I feel like every time I hear something like that, that's, that's a critique that I want to sit back and say, is this true? Because I think it's something that's really important and it's not just work relationships. It's also with our spouses. And just because they say something that doesn't make sense to us, we're like, ah, you're just being irrational. I think it's very important that you, you take a step back and you look at that and you consider it, you digest it. And you, you, you ask yourself those hard questions. You look at yourself in the mirror and say, like, is, is she or he right? Are they, you know, am I an ass? Am I whatever it is? Um, I'm not saying that they're always, they're always 100% right, but maybe there's some validity to that, to that point they made. Um, even if it's just a side comment, they get upset. They say one thing. They, you know, they just make a comment. Maybe they're trying to hurt your feelings. Yeah, maybe they are just trying to hurt your feelings. But also maybe you're... Maybe you are an asshole. Maybe you are a douche. Maybe you don't listen. Um, maybe there's some some there's some value there. Hey Brian, now that we're at the two hour mark, what's the over under on how many of uh, Steven's ten minute rambles he's going to have to edit out of the final show? Oh, I don't think he'll edit any of his own rambles. <laughs> no, I, well, I'm going to edit out all of y'all. It'll it'll, it'll to end fit up, my rambles. It'll be an hour and 15 minute podcast with, uh, you know, 65 minutes, Stephen, and five of me and five of you. <laughs> um, hey guys, I uh, I've got to um, redo my prior erection ranking. Um, I honestly don't feel like I got a ton of joy while reading the book. But now that I've gone back through all of my notes, my highlights, I actually took a lot of stuff away from this book that I'm going to actually put into practice and focus on doing. So um, I, I enjoyed this book after the fact, breaking it down more than I did reading it. Uh, so I think it, it, it did have a lot of value in it. I'm going to go um, a three-quarter erection here. Oh, nice. All right. Nice. Yeah. That's right. Uh, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I, I could go along with that. I mean, I, I liked the book. Uh, just because there wasn't a lot new there doesn't mean there wasn't a lot there that I need to be reminded of. Uh, a lot of things that I've, you know, the old saying, I, I know how to do it better now that I'm doing it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of things that I that I know I should do that I'm not, and so I do think the book will help me refocus on some things that I think are important and I would benefit from, and maybe other people in my life would benefit from. So yeah, I can definitely uh, I can definitely 
put my hands on David's three quarter erection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to stick with we're my, never, we're never going to get a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So love you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Good night. Good night. All right. End it. Drop it. Send it. This has been the Beyond Our Service podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, review, tell your friends all about us. This show can be found everywhere major podcasts are available. And if you'd like to reach out, please head over to beyondourservice.com and let us know what you think or find out how you can be a part of the show. See you next time.